mechanisms that is used to fight urinary infection, for instance, is to change the acidity of the urine. pH of the urine goes between 4 to 7 or 8. And when we change that pH, we actually help to prevent or to fight against bacterial infection. And the other big group are internal mechanisms. And among these internal mechanisms, we have first cells, phagocytes. Remember, we are in the innate immunity, nonspecific. All these mechanisms are nonspecific. We are born with them. These phagocytic cells, they kill bacteria, digest them, destroy them. Second in the list, interferons which are chemicals made by immune system cells that will be antiviral substances, will inhibit the replication of many types of viruses. Complement proteins, endogenous pyrogen, these are chemicals also, part of the first line of defense or innate immunity. And two more types of cells, NK cells, natural killer, that go and fight against cells, uh, cells that have been transformed by tumors, by viruses, mast cells that are involved in allergic reactions usually, and are mediators of the inflammation, this reaction that happens when we are exposed to any uh, foreign particle or challenge. And we'll check the mechanisms of inflammation with more detail. So all these are non-specific mechanisms. They are activated and start working usually right away after we are exposed to bacteria, microorganisms, or any foreign substance. How the innate immunity is activated? There is one mechanism which is important here, and the immune cells. When I say immune cells, I'm talking about macrophages, neutrophils, and lymphocytes. Immune system cells, they have receptors called toll-like receptors which recognize some patterns. And those patterns of molecules are present in the pathogens, meaning virus, microorganisms, bacteria. So these immune cells will recognize the presence of these patterns, molecular patterns that are present in foreign particles or substances. Those are called PAMPs, or pathogen-associated molecular patterns. And these cells are able to recognize these patterns as non-self. That's how they work. As soon as they recognize something that is not our own, is not a, a pattern that belongs to our body, they will be activated. And that's how the innate immune system uh, or innate immunity works at the very beginning. And that's not specific. It's not specific. They just recognize that this, isn't, this doesn't belong to us. 
period. No, yeah, they start. They get activated, whatever the mechanism is. Activated to destroy the bacteria. Activated to make some chemicals that will help to re reject those. Yes. The question in in the three before the last the last structure that you say the mast cells where they release histamine and other mediators of inflammation. That's for example that happens in many cases when you cut whatever any laceration within the body. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. We mentioned phagocytic cells as part of the innate immunity, and the phagocytic cells are listed here. There are two the neutrophils and the macrophages, which are called mononuclear phagocytic cells. Why? Because the monocytes that we described in the blood and we studied in the blood, they actually turn into macrophages. They are monocytes while traveling in the blood. We see them under the microscope, we describe monocytes in the blood. But how they actually work is they go, they squeeze through gaps in the walls of blood vessels and reach the tissues. And when they are in the tissues, they turn into a cell called macrophage. And that's why we call mononuclear phagocytic cells, because there's only one, monocytes and macrophages. And some of these macrophages are organ-specific, meaning that we find them in some organs, and they stay there. They are not returning to the blood anymore. They just stay in those organs, like liver, spleen, lymph nodes, lungs, and even the brain. In the brain, we studied the microglia. And if you remember the uh, uh, characteristic of microglia, we say they are the immune system cells of the brain. Um, those are macrophages that stay there in the liver and the brain to protect against any foreign substance. There are some in the liver, some in the lungs. They're fixed macrophages, organ-specific phagocytes that uh, are there to protect us. So we can say there are three types of phagocytic cells. Neutrophils, the mononuclear phagocytic cells, which are monocytes that turn into macrophages, and all those phagocytes that are present in some organs, fixed. How the phagocytosis happens in the tissues, specifically speaking about neutrophils and monocytes. Neutrophils and monocytes are in the blood. They squeeze in between the gaps in the walls of blood vessels, and they get into the tissues. And that process is called diapodesis. How they get there? They are attracted by chemicals chemotaxis. What are the chemicals? Chemicals called cytokines or chemokines. These chemicals are made by immune system cells. 
and the pathogen will be located, will be eaten, engulfed, and digested, and destroyed. That is how the phagocytes or phagocytosis works. Yes, it's eaten by the macrophages or phagocytes. We usually say phagocytes because we mean neutrophils and monocytes, which will turn into macrophages. So neutrophils and monocytes, they respond going through the blood vessel walls and reach the tissues to fight these pathogens. And we're still describing what is innate immunity or nonspecific. Fever is another mechanism which is part of the nonspecific. And the meaning or the purpose of fever is to maintain an optimal temperature that favors the action of the immune system. But sometimes it gets out of control. The fever or temperature is regulated by the hypothalamus. And the endogenous pyrogen is this chemical that practically establish the set of the average or the set point for the temperature, the body temperature. This endogenous pyrogen is made by leukocytes. Now, whenever there is an infection, an invasion, some bacteria, some microorganisms will make these leukocytes to produce more cytokines. And one of them is the endogenous pyrogen. And the endogenous pyrogen is going to change or reset the hypothalamus to a different level of temperature. And that's how the body temperature is increased. Which is good because the leukocytes are sending signals to the hypothalamus to increase the temperature so the reactions will be improved. But sometimes it gets out of control and the temperature is reset at a much higher level that compromises the other mechanisms. Interference, which were mentioned in the table, are molecules that are made by cells, but usually made by infected cells. And the way they work is Let's say a virus, it usually works for virus, virus uh, viral infections. Is there a virus infects some cells of the gastrointestinal tract? Well, some of these infected cells, or even leukocytes that may be infected, they made these interferons, which are chemicals that work as messages. It's a message telling the other cells that there is a virus infecting cells. And so these cells that get the message will be prepared against the invasion. That's the interferon works. It's like an alert system so the cells be ready for the attack. Alpha and beta interferons, they inhibit replication and assembly of new viruses. And gamma interferons are related more with other type of infections and cancer transformation or cancer cells. 
Now these antivirals or interferons are used for treatment, actually given for some types of viral diseases mostly, to alert, work as, as a help for the treatment. Not only the only treatment, but it helps the treatment of infections, viral, viral infections, or even cancer. Now, what is the link with the other type of immunity, <clears throat> with the adaptive immunity? We have to think about immunity as a whole thing, as a whole system that has two parts. But those parts are linked. Because when we get an infection or we get uh, infected by a bacteria, virus, we get the flu or the measles, whichever, both types of immunity will be activated. But there's a sequence. First thing that happens, as we see here, is the activation of the innate immunity. As you see in the graph, there's a timeline that shows how this works. Innate immunity usually is activated in the first hours that we are exposed or invaded by a microorganism. And there we see some of the mechanisms that we just described in the tables and the descriptions. The epithelial barriers, phagocytes, there are two more cells, NK cells, chemical substances like components. All these are non-specific. They are activated and work killing microorganisms in the first hours after the infection. But then this immunity is followed by the activation of the adaptive immunity. There's a link here. And what we find in adaptive immunity lymphocytes. The lymphocytes are the main actors in the adaptive immunity. And the adaptive immunity is specific response, specific against specific pathogens. How do we know? We have to be exposed to these pathogens so the body will recognize them in a second infection. That's the reason there are two types of immunity. The innate immunity is activated whenever any foreign substance or uh, microorganism invades our body. And then adaptive immunity is activated so we can recognize, it's like taking pictures, have it registered in our system and fight against it. And if a second infection happens afterwards, then we already know the information about that specific pathogen. And the response is even better. That's the reason why, that's the reason why some people are exposed to the microorganism. They don't get the infection, they don't get sick, but they are protected against that because of these two types of immunity. First, innate immunity and adaptive immunity. So whenever we're exposed to microorganisms, both immunities are, in, are activated, but in a sequential way like this. So, so just to recap, so first you have the innate immunity, then once it recognizes a specific uh, pathogen, then the lymphocytes are the ones that come into place. Exactly, yeah, that's how this works. 
And to describe the adaptive immunity, we need to go back a little bit and review what an antigen is, because that will be the basic concept of how the adaptive immunity is activated. The antigens are molecules, and if we talk about bacteria or microorganisms, they are usually surface molecules that will stimulate the immune system. But being more specific for this type of immunity, what is going to make, what these molecules are going to make is to stimulate production of specific antibodies in the case of the lymphocytes B and also activate lymphocytes T which have a different mechanism of action. Now as we see in that picture, which is a picture of a bacteria, Bacteria has, on the surface, many, many different molecules, proteins, usually. And those molecules have different patterns. And different types of antibodies, which are represented here, with this inverted Y-shaped letter, the letter Y shape. As you see, this antibody A is recognizing this triangular shape here. But there's a different type of antibody against this other shape which is present in the same bacteria. Those sites, different types of molecules, are called antigenic determinant sites or epitope. And there are specific, specific antibodies produced against those will be very specific. One type of bacteria can stimulate production of different types of antibodies, depending on the type of molecules that, that it contains on the surface. And now, following this concept of the antigenic determinant sites or specific epitopes on the surface of any microorganism, those small patterns, if we use them or identify them separate, separated from the microorganism, we call them haptens. And especially when they are attached to a bigger molecule. Like in this case, we see that shape Called haptin. And if we, in the lab, we usually do this in the lab, we attach those molecules to a carrier molecule that can be any type of other molecule, a protein, for instance. And now we have this molecule with all the haptins attached to the surface. And now that becomes an antigen. The haptins by themselves separated they will not stimulate the immunity. But if they are attached to the surface of a bigger molecule, they will turn antigenic. We use that concept in uh, immunology, and this is the basics for many of the immunoassays immune or lab tests that are performed, because we identify the haptins. We attach them to molecules, 
And we now we have an antigen that will stimulate the immune system. Now this is the explanation also of some types of allergic reactions. Some people are allergic to some medications, some medicines. Let's say penicillin. Some people are allergic to penicillin, some people are not. The penicillin is inside our body, circulating. Why some people react, why some people don't react? In some cases this is explained because the penicillin molecules will be attached to the surface of some cells that we have. And when they are attached to the cells, they become antigenic and produce a reaction. Other people, the penicillin will not attach to molecules on, the, on, on these cells and will not make any reaction. So, so in that case, penicillin, penicillin is a haptin? Penicillin will be a haptin in that case, yes. And in the same way, other medications may cause another reaction. Uh, that's one of the mechanisms. There are other mechanisms that are uh, uh, described. But, but penicillin, so is the haptin, haptins, but is the if they become attached to the body cell, And that's part of the thing that we did last week in the lab with PCOX for the LISA tests, which is called immune assay. The indirect and the direct ELISA. Remember, we studied the indirect, which is uh, the test uh, to detect specific antibodies present in the blood of someone. We prepare special wells with the antigen attached to the wall. So if we put a sample of uh, blood of someone here and there's the antibody present, then the antibody will bind the antigen. In the second stage, we have another different type of antibody made in the lab against that specific antibody. But this antibody contains an enzyme attached to it that will make the substrate that is added after to change in color. Determine if the antibody was present in the blood of this person. And the direct ELISA or sandwich ELISA is to detect the presence of antigen in the blood of someone. In this case, we prepare the wells containing the antibody attached to the wall. So when we add the blood, if the antigen is present, we will attach to those antibodies. And then now we add different type of antibody, with the enzyme attached to it, we add the substrate that will change the color, and we determine if the antigen is present in the blood of that sample. So indirect is to detect the presence of antibody. And direct is to detect the presence of the antigen in the uh, blood sample. And these are the basis for many of these tests, immunoassays, and even to determine the levels of specific substances in the, in the blood, not necessarily uh, infectious or virals or microorganisms. The principle is the same.
Yes, the indirect is to detect the presence of antibodies. And the antibodies are present because you have the disease or you had it before okay. and your body still has those antibodies. So Once to you have the disease, does your body always keep those antibodies? For a long time, usually. It depends on the disease, but usually the antibodies are made for a long time and can be detected. But of course, it depends on the amount, and that's why um, this is reported at different concentrations. Depending on the concentration, we may know that the disease is active or inactive, and it's just uh, the presence of antibodies after the infection. How does that work with the pregnancy? Or what? How, how does that work with detecting pregnancy? Oh, for detecting pregnancy. Um, what we look for in the blood sample is, or in the urine, is the presence of a hormone that is made by the placenta. This hormone is called HCG. And it's made at very low amounts, very low levels. And so, especially if it's made in the blood, we are able to detect the presence of this hormone as early as two or three days after fertilization. So we don't have to wait until the missing period. We can even, one week before the missing period, we are able to detect pregnancy because of the presence of this hormone in the blood already. How we do this? Well, we just do this. The direct. We place the ACG on the wall, and we add the antibodies, and with the enzyme, we are able to know, and we're able to detect very small amounts of this hormone present in the blood, which works also for the urine. But depending on the sensitivity of the test, can be made in the urine or in the blood. And the purpose, again, is to detect the presence of this hormone in the blood or in the urine. In general, these amino acids are used to detect presence of molecules in very small amounts in the level of micrograms or nanograms in the blood because specific against every, any, every molecule. And we can detect that with this um, immunoassay. So let's see about the lymphocytes, which are the main actors in the active immunity. Lymphocytes, as well as um, any other bl blood cell, they are made in the bone marrow. They are made in the bone marrow, starting from stem cells. And some of these stem cells, in the case of lymphocytes, some of these stem cells will travel to the thymus screen and leaf nodes. And the thymus is the place where the T lymphocytes will actually develop. There are two types of lymphocytes, T lymphocytes and B lymphocytes. The T lymphocytes, T from thymus, they're actually developed in this organ located in the thoracic cavity. Bone marrow and thymus 
are considered the primary lymphoid organs because these two places are the places where the lymphocytes are made and develop. The lymphocytes, the B lymphocytes, are the ones that develop from the stem cells in the bone marrow. And the T lymphocytes are the ones that develop in the thymus. Both of them, later, they will be released to the blood, and we can find them in the blood circulating. But they will also go to other organs, part of the uh, lymphoid system, or lymphatic system. And those organs are tonsils, lymph nodes, and spleen, which are secondary organs. So again, the primary lymphoid organs are the bone marrow and thymus, because these are the places where B lymphocytes and T lymphocytes are made and they develop. Then later they are released to the blood and they will go to secondary organs, which are tonsils, lymph nodes, and spleen. Yes, what happens is that during childhood, the thymus will make the T lymphocytes get mature, and they will go to different organs, especially tonsils, lymph nodes, and spleen. And yes, during adults, and when we get to adulthood, we are not, we are not making T lymphocytes from new, but basically they are already repaired. And there are many of them that are like in a dormant stage, so they will continue reproducing, reproducing, and will guarantee that we have T lymphocytes all the time. So what happens in the thymus is basically preparation. The T lymphocytes are the ones who are going to recognize, recognize foreign bacteria or microorganisms or antigens, and that preparation has to happen early in life. So later on, the thymus is degenerated. We just have few, few tissue in the thymus when we are adults. But in, child, in children, you see the thymus is really big and it's very active, preparing the T lymphocytes to recognize basically what is self and what is non-self. And the secondary organs mentioned, tonsils, lymph nodes, and spleen, are the places where these lymphocytes actually work actively. We will find them plenty of B cells or B lymphocytes, T cells or T lymphocytes. And also macrophages. Both. It's tragic because these two, as we will see uh, how they work together, if T lymphocytes are not present, that will affect the immune system completely. And if B lymphocytes are missing or defective, they will also will be, will be a tragedy, catastrophic. Actually, there are some cases where we see this. There are genetic diseases. Um, the 
they are rare, but these diseases sometimes they affect the B lymphocytes. And these people are born with deficiency of B lymphocytes. And they don't make too much B lymphocytes. And that's dramatic because they cannot be, they are exposed to the microorganisms, antigens from the environment, but they are unable to respond properly. So this is usually these uh, kids, they die very early because simple infection, they shouldn't die of that infection, but they don't have the protection against them. Those are usually depicted in some movies, I think, like kids are, they live protected from the environment in small rooms and they are completely like in a capsule. And with that. That's true, that's true, but uh, um, there's no way to fix it, it's genetic. It's, you, cannot, you can help giving some uh, treatment, but you're always at risk of having this problem. Sorry about um, back to antibodies. Uh -huh. Can specific antibodies be transferred from the mother to the, the like in pregnancy? If I'm immune to something because I had it and then um, can I give that to my baby? Yes, yes, that happens actually. Let's say if you had if you had the measles or you had the vaccination of measles and you have antibodies against that but virus, if you have the baby you will transfer those antibodies to the baby. Your antibodies will be circulating in the baby's blood, but only for some months. For the first month, first three months usually, and then the baby has to develop its own. Yeah, vaccine. That's, that's why if you see the schedule of vaccination, usually most of them have to be given in the first month, first three months to cover those gaps that may be happening. Yeah, they, they are uh, eliminated, they are ge degenerated, and they decline in levels in the blood. I, th I thought that the kids were still, you know, uh, were protected to breastfeeding. If they were to be breastfeeding. Yeah, yeah, but the main antibodies are transferred through uh, the placenta. Through the placenta, the breastfeeding also, uh, but not much, especially for, you know, the Immunoglobulin A, which is one of the types of antibodies that work in the digestive system, that's the one that is given by the breastfeeding, and protects against gastrointestinal infections usually. Uh, but the other placental transfer, they work for many other types of diseases. So is that why people keep the placenta? Is it antibody? No. Then yeah. why, why do they keep it? Why do they say that that's good? Like, keep you know, the placenta. Keep the placenta and store it. Um, They can have, they can have, they can extract, especially the blood, the blood that is present there, and they can extract antibodies from that. Yeah, that's how, what, what they do and what can be done. And, but not for a long time, usually they are just, uh, for the first month, they can be used, may be used later in the lab for some other thing, but to prepare serum against some specific diseases. But yeah, in that sense. So the T lymphocytes, again, and this is what, what we just described, are the ones that are made and developed in the thymus, and then they go, are released to the blood, they go to the lymph nodes and spleen. They actually stay there for a long time, 
uh, tonsils also. And how these T lymphocytes work, what is the mechanism is they will attack cells that are infected, cells that are recognized as abnormal, like cancer cells, or cells that are recognized as foreign, like cells from transplant, any tissue transplant or organ transplant. So the T lymphocytes are the ones responsible to protect us against these infections with viruses, sometimes of fungi, transplanted cells, and cancer cells. T lymphocytes, they do not make antibodies. Those are made by the B lymphocytes. They don't make antibodies. And these cells, to work, they must be next to the target. They have to be in contact, actually, with the target cell. The difference with the B lymphocytes, the B lymphocytes make antibodies and send the antibodies to the blood, and they reach all the places. But the T lymphocytes, they have to be there. They have to fight. B lymphocytes, they come from the bone marrow, and they go and seed other organs, not the thymus, tonsils, lymph nodes, spleen, and they make antibodies. They make antibodies which are released to the blood, and we find them in the blood. Um, B lymphocytes are the mediators of what we call humoral immunity from humor fluid, because the antibodies are in the fluid, body fluid like plasma, the blood, or antibody-mediated immunity. The T lymphocytes, they are the main mediators of the so-called cell-mediated immunity. This is antibody-mediated immunity. So the secondary lymphoid organs, we mentioned them, lymph nodes, spleen, tonsils, Peyer's patches is another one, which are groups of lymphocytes and immune system cells located in the mucosa of the intestines, in the walls of the intestines. And that's one of the main places where the microorganisms invade, through the walls of the epithelium of the intestines. Large intestine, mainly a small intestine. The lymphocytes are always moving from the blood to lymphoid organs, from the lymphoid organs to the lymph, and to the, from the lymph to the blood. They're always going around and circulating in the blood and lymph, and through lymphoid organs. Spleen and lymph nodes. Spleen and lymph nodes, if we see them where they are located, we understand that they work as filters. We have lymph nodes in the inguinal region, we have lymph nodes in the axillary region, cervical region, and they drain the lymph from different areas of our body. And the lymph brings 
fluid from the tissues and sometimes the pathogens, the microorganisms will come in the lymph and be filtered by the lymph nodes and or spleen. So spleen and lymph nodes are work as filters for pathogens. And that's why these cells are mainly, there's a bunch of them in the lymph nodes and spleen and in the tonsils, yeah. Tonsils, lymph nodes. No, the blood is the spleen. For the lymph are the lymph nodes and tonsils. Payers patches, the other ones that are mentioned up there. Lymph nodes, tonsils, payers patches. So when there is an invasion of a microorganism, virus, bacteria, innate immunity is activated first. Now, the mechanism that we see happening if we try to integrate all the responses, this mechanism is called inflammation. And we can see the inflammation and describe it as a manifestation of some signs typical four signs of inflammation uh, gets red, let's say the skin, so the inflammation of the skin, it gets red, uh, it gets swollen, it gets hot, and it gets painful. Those are four signs. But what is going on under the skin? What is going on in the tissues with the cells? And this is what we describe here, local inflammation, when a microorganism invades through the skin, there is local inflammation. First thing that happens, and it's listed here one by one, macrophages, mast cells also will help here. They release those chemicals called cytokines, chemokines, that are going to attract other type of cells like neutrophils, which are also phagocytes. Besides, other mechanisms are activated like complement proteins, these proteins are also going to attract more phagocytic cells. And more phagocytic cells will arrive, they go through the walls of the blood vessels, and that promotes the swelling. Because more fluid, more cells are coming out of the blood vessels. The mast cells will secrete histamine and other products like heparin, prostaglandins, leukotrienes, more cytokines, uh, TNF-alpha, which is uh, another type of cytokine. And what is the effect of these chemicals? Well, they produce increase in the temperature, pain, because it will stimulate nerve endings around them, around it. And they also recruit even more leukocytes. More neutrophils are called to the place where the invasion is happening.
neutrophils arrive in huge amounts and they start to kill the microorganisms by phagocytosis and all these immune system cells, they have one feature. This is called apoptosis or programmed cell death because this reaction won't last forever. Neutrophils arrive, they start killing microorganisms, phagocytosis, and then they are programmed to die. And they will die after a few hours, fighting, of course, and will start getting digested, and that's what we call pus. All this combination of fluid, dead cells, microorganisms will start uh, accumulating that as a pus. And besides, the neutrophils will also release more chemicals that will attract more monocytes from the blood and they will turn into macrophages and will keep working, uh, fighting against the microorganisms. So if you notice, all these, all these mechanisms are nonspecific. So far to this point, it's nonspecific. Now the monocytes arrive. More monocytes arrive. They turn into macrophages. And they will start eating and removing debris, all these apoptotic neutrophils, dead cells that uh, resulted of the fight against the microorganisms. But then these macrophages will be the link with the adaptive immunity. So macrophages are really important for uh, establishing the link between innate and adaptive immunity. And as the process continues, now the B lymphocytes will be activated. Now we're getting into the part of adaptive immunity. And these B lymphocytes will start making antibodies, which are specific against those bacteria that invaded the skin. And the antibodies will start attaching to the surface of this bacteria. All of them will be removed by more macrophages and the protection and immunity is working now completely, 100%. This is just an example of uh, some microorganism invading through the skin. And to establish what are the sequence of mechanisms with some detail and how the link between the innate and adaptive immunity happens. Now, if we talk about other diseases, then we can have a different sequence perhaps, a little bit different, but it's essentially the same in terms of innate immunity first and then the link with adaptive immunity. And that's what the sequence in time that we described before. In all this process, through all this process of inflammation, then we can recognize the signs of inflammation, which are redness, warmth, because of the histamine, vasodilations of the blood vessels, capillary blood vessels that get larger, accumulating more blood, more blood is coming out, all that makes the skin look red, swelling because fluid is coming out of the blood vessels, pain, all these chemicals irritate nerve endings there. Besides, the swelling will compress the nerve endings. And pus, 
in some cases is the sign of all this fight, phagocytosis and accumulation of dead cells after the fight. Yeah. So antihistamines, they actually stop this process? Antihistamines. Uh -huh. Antihistamines are medications that are given to block the action of histamine in some cases where this reaction is excessive, like in allergic reactions. In local inflammation, we're talking about like a little area of the skin. I mean, we don't have to give antihistamines for that because that's part of the, part of the process. But if some of these reactions is because you're allergic to uh, peanuts, let's say, the inflammation will not be just in one area. The inflammation will be all over your body. And you will start having like rash, like red patches and all over your skin. You will start having a reaction in the throat. You will not be able to breathe. All that because excessive release of histamine. And that's when the antihistamines work to block that uh, process initiated by histamine. Questions, more questions to this point. Okay, let's have a 10 minute break and then we'll start with the functions of T lymphocytes or B lymphocytes and T lymphocytes. <laughs>